Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. Welcome to the Life Christian Church. If we haven't met, my name is Ryan Moore. I'm the pastor of care here at TLCC. And today, we'll be focusing on the movie, The Bad Guys. Um, I want to look at the theme of made for more, made for more. Because, you know, sometimes we make mistakes in the path to goodness. And this is a moment for us not to give up, but to recommit and to begin again. And so in our final film of our series, The Bad Guys, we will explore doing good as a result of a transformed life. I hope you got your treats and we're ready to go for today. Hey, if you're here for the first time, we're ending up the series today, wrapping it all up, but I want you to know we are using blockbuster movies to showcase Jesus Christ and get some biblical truths out of it. Um, parents, our K-Port ministry, children's ministry here at TLCC has um, discussion guides for your child, so this is a good way to engage your child and have some good family fun time. If you haven't seen the movie, let me tell you a little bit about The Bad Guys. The Bad Guys was released in several countries in the spring of 2022. It received positive reviews from critics for its animation, its writing, its humor, and voice acting. It grossed over $250 million worldwide. There's several themes in The Bad Guys film. Change is possible. Stereotypes don't have to stick. Being good brings greater happiness and riches than stealing and being bad. And so in our first clip, we will see after several legendary robberies, the notorious criminals, Mr. Wolf, Mr. Snake, Mr. Piranha, Mr. Shark, and Miss Tarantula are finally caught. To avoid a prison sentence, the animal outlaws must pull off their most challenging con yet, and that is becoming model citizens. Let's check out the clip. And now the moment we've all been waiting for. Uh, <laughs> Excuse me, is this the ladies' room? Oh, uh, you need to take a right at the end of the hall, ma'am. make like a wolf and get the pack out of here. Ah, wordplay. I don't get it. Diane, Diane, if I may. You have to understand, I didn't bring hope back to the city for an award. I did these good things because of how they made me feel. That tingly feeling I get, that shiver up my spine, the wag in my tiny tail. Because you see, being good just feels so good. And when you're good, 
You laughed. It's the bad guys! Arrest them! They stole the golden dolphin! Come on, you can't prove that. Bad guys, with your hands up. Never! We're out of here! So long, suckers! Well, this just got a little weird. The bad guys go bust. The nefarious fivesome has finally been captured. And I, Tiffany Fluffett, am first on the scene. Wow. You know, I, I just realized that I have devoted my entire adult life to putting you in jail. You are my purpose. Without you, who am I? Ah, I'm just kidding. This is the best moment of my life! Uh. It's the end of the bad guys. No! It's oh, for me. You're begging for a bite right now. Wolf! Excuse me. Hey. Sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to congratulate the governor here. I got to say, you really got us pegged. We're just a deep well of anger and self-loathing. Denial. Sure. That too. Narcissism. Yeah, yeah. Emotional emptiness. So we're on the same page. What is he doing? Sadly, we were never given a chance to be anything more than second-rate criminals. If only there was someone who could help the flower of goodness inside us blossom. Some icon of love and forgiveness like, uh, I don't know, Mother Teresa. Best thing is to just throw us in jail for the rest of our hopeless lives. Yeah, that's the plan. Wait! Beg, beg pardon? Mr. Wolf may be a savage beast. Basically, walking garbage. Sorry, I'm making a point. Do what you need to do, pal. But how can we say they're hopeless if they've never been given a chance? What if what if we tried a little experiment, Diane? As you know, my Gala for Goodness, the hashtag charity event of the year, is coming up. If I can prove to everyone at that gala that the bad guys have changed, will you set them free and give them a clean start? What? Uh, Professor Marmalade! No, 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 no. Don't you see what he's doing? He's playing you. But it was my idea. It was his idea. Uh, only because you made him have it? Madam Governor, you can't just let them go. Professor, I'm not about to put the safety of the city on the line for an experiment. Excuse me, Madam Governor. I seem to remember that a wise person once said, even trash can be recycled into something beautiful. Huh. Okay, I'm game, but only because it's you, Professor. No! We'll hold on to the dolphin until the gala, just to remove any unnecessary temptation. Of course, good thinking. That's why you're governor. Now that everyone's happy... Not happy! I, Rupert Marmalade the Fourth, will turn the bad guys into the good guys! <laughs> I think these belong to you. Hey! No! 
Not everyone gets a second chance. Make the most of it, Mr. Poodleton. Suppose you could change anything about yourself. Where would you start? A lot of us would start on the outside. I desire to be skinnier or taller or better looking or longer hair or more hair. I think we all go through periods where we desperately want to change our outward appearance. We live in a state of constant fear that we're not good enough. But as hard as it is to change on the outside, it's infinitely harder to change on the inside. If there's anything we know about human nature, we know this, is that people change slowly if they change at all. Think about the struggles of our life. What would you change about yourself on the inside if you could? Think about it. Keep that in mind as we go today. I want you to know as we saw this clip, Mr. Fox is like, you know, trash can always be recycled to something good. And I want you to know this, this is our first point today, is redemption is always possible. Redemption is always possible. We'll look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, but let's define redemption. Redemption is the act of buying something back or paying a price or ransom to return something to your possession. And so the Christian use of redemption means Jesus Christ, through his sacrificial death, purchased us believers from the slavery of sin, evil, wickedness, to set us free from that bondage. Redemption always involves going from something to something else. In this case, Christ freeing us from the bondage of evil to a new life in him. And so our thought is this, if Christ has redeemed us, we were made for so much more. We were made more than just our failures, our vicious cycle of feeling defeated. We're made more than just being ruled by our taste buds or our body image or our rationalizations and guilt. We were made for victory. Why? Because Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, his words, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And here's his purpose. And to give his life as a ransom for many. The ransom price was enormous and we couldn't pay it. Only Jesus could pay the price and he paid it in full. And so our scripture says this, Colossians chapter one, verse 12 through 14, Paul states, and giving joyful thanks to the father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What is the main point of Colossians chapter one? Colossians chapter one is mainly focused on describing Christ as supreme. Jesus is not only God of creation, he is ultimate authority of all created things. And so the penalty for sin has been completely removed because of his perfect sacrifice. And so at the end of this verses 12 through 14, Paul, this is a prayer that he has for the Colossians church. Paul provides for us three things that God has done in changing us. Let me run through those three things and we'll just go through each of them and unpack them a bit. Three things that God has done to change us. Number one, he's qualified us for the inheritance. He's qualified us for the inheritance. He's delivered us 
from darkness and he's redeemed and forgiven us. And so let's look at the first one. He's qualified us for the inheritance. The first reason that Paul gives thanks is that we've been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. This is what he says in verse 12. He says, I'm giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. While this initially may seem like an elaborate way of saying that God enabled the church at Colossae to hear and receive the gospel, the language is very important here. Paul is saying that the church, comprised of both Jews and Gentiles, have equal and full access to the inheritance of God's people. The Bible mentions an inheritance because we are now in the family of God. We are heirs of God and joint heirs in Jesus Christ. So we, along with the church at Colossae and believers all over the world, are qualified to share in this inheritance. It's not something we're worthy of on our own. It's something done to us, and it's done something for us. Thus, Paul makes it abundantly clear that it's God the Father who has made the church at Colossae fit, and he's made us fit for this glorious inheritance through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. This is what makes the gospel such good news. On our own, apart from the grace of God, the only thing we were qualified for was death and the wrath of God. In fact, Jesus himself tells us that people love the darkness rather than the light. But God in his mercy and through his son has made us worthy to be called children, children of God. And he's also caused us not only to walk in the light, but to love the light and to be called children, not of the dark, but children of the light. Amen? So we're qualified. We're made fit for his family through Christ. But also, he's delivered us now from the darkness. Second reason Paul's just so elated in this prayer is he's delivered us from darkness. Paul says, we've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved son in verse 13. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that there are only two kingdoms that everyone finds themselves in. By nature, we belong to the domain of darkness, but by grace, we belong to the kingdom of the Son. And the good news is that our gracious God and Father has delivered us from the realm of sin and death and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom of joy, a kingdom of love, and a kingdom of peace. And this is the heavenly inheritance of the saints, us who call ourselves believers, that we are in the light. We share in this, and we share in this right now. I love 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, because he tells us a little bit about how much more God has um, put in us and who we really are in Christ. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God does not rescue us from darkness only for us to wander in our own individual kingdoms. In our relationship with Jesus Christ, he becomes both our savior and our Lord. We'll learn more about that this month of September. But what is also remarkable about this passage is all these actions 
are in the past tense. These things not only were initiated, but they're decisively accomplished by God. We have been qualified. We have been delivered from darkness. We have been transferred to the kingdom of the Son. And this salvation is a present reality. Why, do we experience, why don't we experience the fullness of it? Well, we don't right now, but there's glimpses of it each and every day in our life. And when Christ returns, we will fully enter the eternal kingdom of God to enjoy fellowship and communion with this triune God. And so he's qualified us. He's made us fit. But he's also redeemed us and forgiven us. The third thing that Paul says is that we've been redeemed and forgiven. Verse 14, in whom we have what? Redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so to, in order to share in the inheritance of the saints and become citizens of the kingdom of heaven of God, we need our sins dealt with. Darkness cannot have any fellowship with light. What we need is to be rescued from the guilt and the penalty of sin, as well as the bondage to sin. And this freedom then is ours in Jesus Christ. This redemption is how we are qualified for the inheritance. And so in verse 13, Paul provides a summary of our salvation in its entirety. But in verse 14, he focuses on the personal ongoing experience of the Christian. You know, I just want to interject this point right here. Because when we look at redemption and forgiveness of sins, one of the things that leads to that is repentance. And I know that, you know, in our, our, our modern day culture, a lot of churches, you know, as a whole, we, we don't want to really touch on that subject because it may, you know, get people, you know, all raveled up and, you know, riled up for things. But I want you to know this. Maybe we've done an injustice in how we communicate it. You know, we've had very, I would say, demonstrative preachers in the past throughout the generations of Christianity who talked about repentance and it was, you know, repent or else. But I want you to know repentance is a gift from God that he gives to us freely to say, hey, this is what I'm offering you. And then there's being qualified. There's being redeemed in him and being forgiven in him. So look at repentance as what it really is. It's a gift from God. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift. This is the heart of the Christian faith. Our sin has been nailed to the cross. Our debt has been canceled. And our former master has been conquered by the Lord Jesus Christ. The domain of darkness no longer has claim on us. As citizens of the sons and daughters of the kingdom, children of light, we have redemption and we have forgiveness and we have it right now in Jesus. Our redemption is an ongoing reality that empowers us for daily living. Those of you who have truly been redeemed and forgiven cannot help but give God constant thanks wholeheartedly. Why? Because it's nothing that we could have done to earn this status in, in life. It's all what God has already done. So TLCC, are we thankful for what God has done, making us so much more than what we settle for or what we think about ourselves at times? Amen? Let's continue. I want to introduce to you Professor Rupert Marmalade. Um, he's the main antagonist of the bad guys. He has been known to do some very good things, some good deeds, including stopping wars, feeding the hungry, saving countless pandas. But he scoffs and says, it's, it's not a competition 
there was a flower of goodness inside all of us waiting to blossom. He was thought to be a harmless and innocent guinea pig. But this clip reveals his true colors. Let's take a look. How does it feel to have everyone not fear you for a change? It feels good. Real good. Diane. It belongs to you. Ray tonight will be delivered tomorrow to schools, hospitals, and other worthy causes across the city. <clears throat> I just want to take a moment to recognize the one responsible for our new outlook, our brilliant mentor, a paragon of enlightenment, the one and only Professor. Whoa! Do it, the Professor. Um. Professor Marmalade! Chief, may I do the honors? Is that the play? What is happening? He's gone rogue! A deal's a deal. By the power vested in me, it is a pleasure to grant the bad guys a full talk. That was weird. The meteorite is gone! Somebody stole it! Chief! Wolf! Come on! You can't possibly think that we did this. So long, suckers! I'm giving it all back. What happened back there? I couldn't do it. What do you mean you couldn't do it? I, I, I just... I... No! I do not run! That is not how I roll! Brian, don't do anything crazy. <laughs> crazy is what I bring to the party, Chico! a mistake. We didn't do it. I know what you always say that, but this time it's actually true. La 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 la. Can't hear you. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Talk to Marmalade. We're really good now. He'll tell you. Professor. Tonight's headline, Change is Impossible. You should always judge a book by its cover and all stereotypes have been affirmed. Stop. For goodness sake. Let me speak to them. I'm, I'm sure there's been some misunderstanding. Oh. Professor Marmalade. We've got five minutes. No deals this time. You, you have to help us. Tell him. Tell him we didn't do it. There, there. Of course you didn't do it. How could you? After all, you're such a good boy. 
You're such a good boy. That shiver up my spine, the wag in my tiny tail. Arrest them! What if we tried a little experiment, Diane? As you know, my gala for goodness. Where the legendary love crater meteorite will be on display for the first time ever. All eyes will be on you tonight, not me. You're such a good boy. You. It was all you. What are you talking about, Wolf? The old lady, the golden dolphin. Good training. It was all to get us here so he could steal the meteorite and let us take the fall. Whoa, whoa, what old lady? And why would a guinea pig want a meteorite anyway? Uh, guys, he's creeping me out. Wait, what? What's going on? Someone turn me around! Well, well. So you finally get it. What? what? You stole the meteorite? Oh, it's not just a meteorite. I told you guys it's a bite. It's not a bat. It's the ultimate power source. You see, when it struck, scientists found that it emitted an electromagnetic frequency unlike anything else on Earth. I'm going to harness its power to pull off the greatest heist the world has ever seen. You should have eaten him when you had the chance. Yup. But why us? Because you're the perfect patsies. Come on, when people look up bad in the dictionary, do they see a sweet, adorable guinea pig? No, they see you. And they always will. Okay. Fine, but you set us up. Oh, pish, pish. Let's be honest. Evolution set you up. But Wolfie here really clinched it. You fell for every one of my traps, starting with saving a helpless little old lady. Wolf, what's he talking about? Whoops. Did I say too much? Anywho, looks like, yet again, the big bad wolf. Got outsmarted by Little Piggy. You little pouchy cheeks! I'll kill you! You hear me? Oh, get down! Get down! The big bad wolf is attacking me! Oh, now you are done forever, wolf! This leads us to our second point of today. Just because something looks good doesn't mean that it is. Just because something looks good doesn't mean that it is. Let me give you a little context as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 and 24. Corinth was a Greek and pagan city. Most of its residents continued to participate in idolatry. Its practice was so prevalent that the meat sold in the marketplace had been previously sacrificed to the town's idols, and most everyone had no problem with that. So Paul wanted to make it clear that eating the meat was not a problem in and of itself. The problems came when either a fellow Christian who did not have understanding was tempted to honor idols, or if pagans were making an issue out of it. And so he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 and 24, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. We commonly think of idolatry as bowing down to a statue or a picture or some type of altar or foreign god. That, of course, is idolatry. 
However, anytime we give someone or something influence over our life instead of the Lord, we are engaging in some form of idolatry. We know that money, power, success can become idols, but there are many other things that can become an idol if we are not careful. We must constantly evaluate our lives to see if we are allowing things of this world to have more influence on us, which only should be reserved for the Lord. We always need to ask, why am I doing this? If our involvement in any activity, group, compromises our devotion to the Lord, then we should eliminate that because of the fact that it can be used to trip us up or hinder the work of God's kingdom. And so how do we use our freedom in Christ responsibly? And this is what uh, Paul is talking about here, our Christian freedom. Let's define it. Freedom in Christ is not a freedom to do anything we want. Rather, it is being guided in our every step by the Holy Spirit who leads us to what we must know and do. And so Paul, as often as he does, he balances fleeing from idolatry with some positive principles. Because in the movie, Professor Marmalade was doing good things, but power became his idol and it really exposed his true nature. So here are four ways and four things to make sure that we're using our freedom in Christ responsibly. Number one, we should make sure that our freedom is directed toward that which is beneficial. Today, someone may say, you know, what I'm doing, it's not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say prohibit me from doing it. And so Paul's response is, though something may be permissible, it may not be beneficial. Hey, we're certainly free to stay up all night on a work evening or even a school day and watch Hulu or Netflix. But is it beneficial? Because we do need sleep. We're free to be brutally honest with people around us, but sometimes such honesty may hurt and destroy relationships. And so therefore we should discern how the spirit wants us to approach that person. Second, we should use our freedom constructively. This is very similar to the first principle. There are lots of things we're free to do, but doing them, if they have no good purpose, why are we doing them? We can whine about problems, but it's more constructive to focus on solutions. We can give our kids the world and give them everything they want, but constructive would be to teach them the value of hard work. Third, we should exercise our freedom for the good of others. Paul said nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. This is such an important command. Whether we wanna admit it or not, we tend to be more self-centered. We see things from our perspective and we assume that's the only perspective that's right or valid. You can be wrong and disagree with me, but you're wrong. I'm right, right? That's most of the time the purpose and the thinking we have. So we need to work at seeing past ourselves so we can think about how our actions impact others. And so Paul helps us understand this principle and how it applies in the situation of meat that was offered to idols in the passage of scripture. And he gives this, he says, enjoy what's sold in the markets. It all comes from the Lord and should be received gratefully. Where the meat was before the market is irrelevant. However, if someone raises a question about the food because it's been offered to an idol, you should refrain from eating. Why? Because since it's an issue to the other person, they may be harmed or led astray by the exercise of your freedom. 
out of love for the other person, we should, in this situation, give up our rights. So how do we apply this in our contemporary settings? Because we don't necessarily have meat being offered to idols and then sold. I get my meat from ShopRite. Maybe you get from ShopRite as well. But the question today is, does our action hinder our own walk with God? That's the question we must be asking when it comes to things like this. When the issue is eating out of a pagan temple or what we may go through today, today it may be certain things like watching a certain show. It may be music preferences, right? All of us don't listen to gospel music all the time. It may be occasionally having a glass of wine or a drink out, right? Or it may be dating a particular person. So how do we go about making these decisions? The questions are the same that help govern our decision. It's this, what is the effect on my spiritual life? What effect doing this activity is going to have on my spiritual life? Does my action hinder my own walk with God? Does my action hinder my own walk with God? How will this practice influence those around me? Finally, we should use our freedom to promote God's glory. This is the overriding principle in any questionable situation. Will my actions cause God's glory to be advanced or diminished? Whatever I'm doing that I'm free to do, the question has to be, will God's glory be promoted, advanced, or will God's glory be diminished? Is change and goodness starting to become part of Mr. Wolf? Let's take a look at this clip and find out. I think we got off to a bad start. The name's Wolf. Yep. I get that a lot. First impressions and all. No, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. I'm not going to hurt you. I know you're scared. I would be too if I were you. Just give me a chance. Truth is, we actually have a lot in common. Don't tell anyone. But I love a little scratch on the spot behind my ears. You know, right there. The best. Come on, kitty. Yes, you, you filmed that? Yes, and 
They're starting to like you. Yeah! Oh, right. This might just be enough to win over the guests at the gala. Point number three, seek out goodness that God has placed in your path. Seek out the goodness that God has placed in your path. Second Peter chapter one, verse three through five, his divine power, scripture says, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us this very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. Peter starts with our position in Christ before moving to our practice as Christians. And we see this in verse three. He says, his divine power, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And so once we know about our resources, now we can focus on our responsibility. We move from knowing about grace to growing in grace. And so growing in grace is this intentional aspect of what God does in our life, but we would call it probably spiritual formation, where we start to practice those things that we know that God wants us to put into practice. And he starts to form us more and more. Two people who um, do a lot with spiritual transformation in Christianity, Ruth Halley Barton and Evan B. Howard. Ruth Halley Barton says this. She defines spiritual transformation as spiritual transformation is the process by which Christ is formed in us for the glory of God, for the abundance of our own lives, and for the sake of others. And Evan B. Howard defines spiritual formation or spiritual growth as the intentional and semi-intentional processes by which believers, individuals, and communities become more fully conformed and united to Christ, especially with regard to maturity in life and calling. Here are two truths to keep in mind about spiritual growth and spiritual transformation. Number one, God is committed to our growth. 1 Corinthians 3, 7 says, but only God makes things grow. So God is committed to our growth because he's the one who planted us. And so when we grow, we show forth his splendor. But the second point we have to understand about spiritual growth and transformation is we must be committed to our growth. 2 Peter 3.18 says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Professor Marmalade had a strategy to change the bad guys. I want you to know this. God has a strategy and has given us a strategy to change as well. Scripture says God has designed it this way, that we are in partnership with him. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 captures our responsibility and God's role very clearly. You can go and check that verse out later today. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, but it says this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's our part. Then it says, for it is God who works in you. That's God's part, both to will and do for his good pleasure. So God keeps it 100 with us. It's not a 50-50 arrangement. We are 100% responsible to grow in discipleship. And we're 100% dependent on the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and gives us 
the grace to grow. I've understood this in my life, that when God is building our character and he's forming us and he's making us more and more into his image and who he truly embodies 100%, let's say it's love. God wants more love to flow out of you. Well, you know what? The test is he's going to probably put you around people who hate. It, maybe it's kindness that God is developing more and more in your life. He wants to just to overflow, that people see his character, but also transformation in your own life. You know what? He's going to put you around some hostility, <laughs> some hostile environments, some hostile people where we have to show kindness, not fake kindness, but authentic kindness. You know, maybe it's goodness. They say, add this to your life, that people see good in this world because of me living in you. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to encounter some mean people in life, right? Just don't treat people well. But that's the opportunity for us to do good. Let's lay it out this way. Goodness or virtue is something for us to pursue. It means doing the right thing, what God commands, regardless of the outcome. I would bet everything that if I'm doing what God tells me to do, even in the face of adversity, hostility, mean people, and hate, you know what? God's going to see me through it. And you know what? The result will be good because he promises to work all things together for good because we love him and he loves us too. So think about it this way. How do we walk this out? Well, think about it in the sense of being engaged or married. You give that person priority in your heart. You give them time and energy. It's the same with a relationship with Jesus Christ. He calls us to live the faith we profess. Peter wants us to understand that declaring trust in Christ and escaping the corruption of this world go hand in hand. And the person who has genuine faith is working to obey and follow Christ in the way that they live. So he says, for, every, for, ver- for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge. People who are energetic without knowledge will run after any new thing that's on the market, right? But we need to channel our energies in the right direction. How do we gain this kind of knowledge of God? We develop it the same way we would develop intimacy with anyone, by spending time together. We build intimacy with God by walking with him every day and learning through obedience to trust his counsel. So back to the question we asked earlier today. What would you change about yourself on the inside if you could? Would it be an impatient spirit? Would it be a critical tongue? Would it be lust that you can't conquer? Would it be financial mismanagement? Would it be a disorganized life? Would it be an inability to say no? We all want to change something, but at times we don't know where to begin, where to start. So let me give you some tools today in closing. Pastor Rich Velotis pastors a church in Queens, New York City. Uh, He calls this explore the iceberg. And this tool is to look beneath the surface of our lives and identifying the hidden but powerful forces that shape the way we navigate choices and relationships. 
And so by acknowledging and naming these realities, we raise our emotional awareness, which in turn enables us to process our emotions in a healthy way and to integrate them in discerning God's will. So here, here are the four questions to prompt us that we should go through. Um, encouragement to all of us. I would say, number one, start with silence, because in this noisy pace of our modern life, it can be difficult to take the journey inwardly. But quiet yourself before the Lord and ask him to quiet your heart and mind as you get centered to hear what he's about to do and transformation of your heart. Here are the questions. Number one, what are you mad about? Where do you have anger rising up inside of you? Name that and offer it to the Lord. Number two, what are you sad about? What are you grieving? Are there any losses in your life that you need to address and deal with? Name that and offer it to the Lord. Number three, what are you anxious about? What's giving you a sense of worry or fear? Name it and lift it to the Lord in prayer. And what are you glad about? Where is joy rising in your life? Where do you see the gifts of God that you want to offer thanksgiving and gratitude for? Name that and give thanks to God. Maybe you do that once a week and see what God will do in your life, the miracles that he will perform in our hearts. As we learn to use the tools that God has given us to develop our faith, we will discover a new joy and a strength in life. We will grow in our intimacy with God. We'll begin to reflect his character and others will see Jesus through us. When this happens, we will no longer be confused about the goal of our faith. We will be moving towards what God wants us to be. And because of this, we'll thank him every moment of our lives. May I offer a prayer? Father, we thank you. Because our goal in life is to be transformed, to be more and more made into your image. And God, you are 100% devoted to that. But you call us also to partner with you in it. So God, let us be faithful, intentional. At times we're semi-intentional and you still use it for your glory and transform us. And so make us more into your image, Lord. May you order our steps. May we reflect your splendor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.